0: But let's read tonight, Ephesians chapter four, starting verse 17. Paul says, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The church at Ephesus was mostly Gentiles, those who were non-Jews, those who were saved. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over into lasciviousness. Now, when was the last time you used the word lasciviousness in uh, your conversation? It just means uh, wicked living and immoral living. It's a kind of a broad word for immorality and for wickedness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned in Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So tonight we're going to talk about putting off the old man. Um, a tremendous change happens when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to hear testimonies that people will give. That this was my life. This is how I was living I was not living right. I was doing things I should not have done, you know. And sometimes uh, some of the testimonies we hear get pretty dramatic, and how people were just really living in terrible ways. But then they came to Christ, and the difference, the change that happened in their life after they gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that change happens not just in those who have those dramatic testimonies that we all love to hear. But that tremendous change happens in every person's life when they give their life to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when a person comes to Christ, they become a new creation. Now that is an amazing statement. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if, any was in, any, if anyone is in Christ, That is a Christian, a follower of Jesus. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that speaks of the change that Jesus makes in the life of a person who gives their life to Christ. Uh, We can't change ourselves. You know, self-reformation. Sometimes people get tired of the way they're living and they decide they're going to change. And so they begin to modify their behavior and some of the things that they're doing. And and they can do that maybe to some extent for some period of time. But self-reformation, you know, changing yourself by self-effort, it can help maybe to a certain extent. But to really change, a person has to have a new heart. They have to be new on the inside. You can't change from the outside in. The change that's needed in a person's life must be from the inside out. And only God can change us on the inside. So when a person comes to Christ, the Bible says that they are a new creature, literally a new creature, a new creation. The New Testament says that when a person comes to Christ, they receive a new will. They have a new mind. They have a new heart. They have a new power. They have a new knowledge. They have a new wisdom. They have a new perception. They have a new understanding. They have a new life. They have a new inheritance. They have a new relationship with God. They have a new righteousness. They have a new love. They have a new desire. They have a new citizenship. When a person gives their life to Christ, they become a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that reflects the change that God makes on the inside. And lasting change can happen in a person's heart only and that change comes from the inside and only God can change us on the inside. So when a person is saved, it's not that God adds something to their life. When a person is saved, he transforms us, he changes us. And so it's a dramatic thing Uh, in my own life. I think of my life in this way, before Christ and after Christ, who I was before I was a Christian and who I, I I am now that I have come to Christ, who I, uh, I am after I came to Christ. There, there's a clear line in my life, a clear demarcation line in my life, of who I was before Jesus, before I came to know Christ, and who I am now. And there's a, there's uh, there's a difference. I'm not perfect, but I am different. <laughs> you know, uh, if anybody ever accuses you of st- thinking because you're a Christian, you know, they accuse you of maybe thinking you're perfect. I always tell them, well, I'm not perfect, but I am different. And I'm different because of what Jesus has done in my life, what the Lord has done in my life. And so that, that difference, the difference that Jesus makes is real. Now, here's the question though. The question is, if Christians are new people, if we have experienced this work of God in our life, that has changed us. Then why do we still sin? <laughs> now, I met, a, I met a person one time. I was visiting in the hospital in a hospital room. And uh, I met a person one time. And she began to tell me that since she became a Christian, she never sinned since that time. You know, That she just never, you know, a Christian Doesn't sin. And of course, you know, I tried to be gracious. In my younger days, I was a lot less, less gracious than I am now. I tried to be gracious. Um, But, you know, she began to quote scripture that she, I think she thought would back up the the thing that, you know, uh, that uh, Christians are perfect and Christians no longer sin. And I, I finally, I just told her, well, honey, you just sinned. Did you know that? And she got all up, you know, up in the air. And I felt well, the better part of Valerie is just to leave the Don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, I'm not accusing her of being swine or anything like that. But there was no way I was going to convince her that, you know, what she was saying was wrong. It's true that Christians, a person who becomes a Christian, can't sin the way they used to before they were saved. The Bible does teach that 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 because of the difference that god makes in our life we can't sin the way we did when we were lost but the reality is christians can still sin so why how can we why if god does this change in our life then why is it that we still sin and our attitude towards sin may be different and it will be different after we're saved and the you know the the We no longer live that kind of of life of sin, but the reality is Christians still sin. So if God makes us a new creature, why is that true? Well, we still sin because while we're new creations in Christ, our souls have been saved, but our physical bodies have yet to be redeemed. Spiritually, we're brand new. Physically, we ain't brand new. Because after you got saved, you still got sick. And you still got older. And you still began to do. you had the, the physical maladies that people have. You see, our souls are saved, but our bodies are not yet redeemed. Our bodies will not be redeemed until the resurrection. So while we have a saved soul... We're still living in fallen bodies. Our souls are saved. We are new people in Christ. But our fallen bodies will not be redeemed until the resurrection. You know, when Jesus saves us, he saves us body and soul. The Bible says that the Lord saves us to the uttermost. The body is not disposable. You know, when you drink a Coca-Cola and you're through with the Coca-Cola, you crumple the can and you throw it away. You have no more use for it. And some people think, well, God only cares about my soul. He doesn't care about my body so that when my body, you know, dies, the Lord's just going to crumple my body up and throw it away, never to be seen again. Oh, no. Because if the Lord just saved us spiritually, but He doesn't save us Physically, then He's not hes not the Savior that has saved us wholly. And so the Lord, He saves us to the uttermost. He saves our soul and our body. And when we die, our soul is separated from our body. Our body is disposed into the ground. Our soul goes to be with the Lord. But you see, that separation was never intended by God. That's a result of death. So one of these days... The Lord's going to bring our soul with Him when He comes. And He's going to call that body forth. Or He's going to rematerialize that body or whatever it may be. And He's going to remake that body. He's going to reform that body. He's going to make that body glorified. He's going to make it fit for heaven. And He's going to rejoin that body that was buried with that soul that has been with the Lord. And so shall we forever be with the Lord. And so why do we sin? Well, as long as we live in these fallen bodies, as long as we live in this fallen world, as saved as we are, we're still going to have to deal with temptation. Now, because of what God has done in our life when He saved us, we can't sin like we did before we were saved. But we will not be free as saved as we are. We will not be free from the potential to sin and the possibility of sin until we go to heaven so here's the picture of the new testament and it, this picture is found in this passage we are saved souls who are still clothed with smelly old coats of fallen flesh <laughs> we're saved on the inside but we're not yet saved on the outside and as long as we live in these fallen bodies as long as we live in this fallen world As saved as we are, we're still going to have to deal with temptation. And we still have the potential and we still have the possibility of sin. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 7 We have this treasure. We have this treasure. This treasure of salvation. We're saved. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I've got a saved soul, but it's in a jar of clay. It's in my body. So, Satan can't steal you from God, he can't take your salvation away from you. But Satan will always try to use our fallen flesh and the fallen world to hinder us and to discourage us in everything that God wants to do in our life. That's why every time you wanna do something for the Lord, and I know this is true in your life because it's true in my life. Every time you wanna do something for the Lord, there's always something gnawing at that, trying to get you not to do it. Every Sunday morning, you get up and get ready for church. There's a little voice back there saying, you know, you don't really need to go to church today. You've had a long week, you're tired. Why don't you take today off? (laughs) It's there. Every godly advance that God wants to do in our life, there's always something nagging at us, chewing at us, some kind of force trying to hinder what God wants to do in our life. And so we have to realize that. So here's what the Bible says. Saved as you are, you are not to allow the desires of your fallen flesh to dominate or be in control of your life. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul said walk in the Spirit, which means the word walk here means daily life. Live your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. That will help you not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's stuff that the flesh is always trying to get you to do, to drag you away from God, to hinder you in your walk with the Lord. So make a decision. Walk in the spirit. Don't let the flesh dominate your life. Ephesians 4.22, put off concerning your former conduct. Put it off. Take off the old man. Take off the old clothes. The old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. You've been saved. You're filled with the Spirit. Now take off that old life. Take it off. And that speaks of action. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. There are fleshly lusts in you that are constantly at battle against your soul. So, we're saved, we're new creatures in Christ, but we have not yet been fully redeemed. Now, we're saved finally, fully, and forever, but we want to experience the final installment of our redemption until the resurrection of the body. And when you die, you go to heaven, you know, and you no longer have to deal with temptation. But so the Lord's not just going to leave your body as if your body was meaningless as an as a empty Coca-Cola can. He's going to call your body forth. He saves us to the uttermost. He saves us body and soul. Soul and body. But until we achieve that final victory, we're going to have to deal with the potential of sin. We're going to have to deal with the possibility of sin. So, as a Christian... You don't want to sin. See, one of the things God does is He changes your attitude towards sin. Now, lost people, they don't care if they sin. They don't care. They might care if they get caught. They might care if they have to pay a price for it. But lost people, they don't care if they're sinning. You know, they, they sin because they're sinners. That's the way we were before we were saved. A lot of lost people don't care. Now, every now and then they may have a little guilt about something they may have done or said or something like that. But, you know, generally lost people, they don't care if they sin. But if you're a Christian, you've been changed by the God, power of God. Sin will grieve your soul. Sin will grieve you on the inside, cause you to have guilt, pain. You know, before I get up to preach or any time before I get up in the pulpit, i got to go to before the Lord and clean my life out of anything that's not right. Because you know, I don't want to be. I, I want to be clean. I want to be right. I want to be holy. You know, for a Christian, sin is like that little pebble that gets inside your shoe as you're walking, and that thing's hurting. And it's just a little old bitty thing, but it's hurting you. Fine, you have got to get rid of that thing. Well, for a Christian, you know, sin. We don't, we have a different attitude towards sin. But the reality is, we still have to deal with temptation. We still have to deal with the possibility and the potential of sin. And we won't be free from that until we go to heaven. I want to tell you something. Satan is relentless. I don't care how old you get. Satan will never leave you alone. I have found in maturity, you know, as you go through life... you'll you'll find that there are different temptations in different stages of life. Paul talked about youthful lust. But when you get older, those youthful lusts didn't have the appeal that it once had. But that doesn't mean Satan's through with you. Because Satan, he will tempt old people. You know how he tempts? None of y'all are old, I know. But you know how Satan tempts old people with discouragement more than anything else? He will he will try to discourage senior saints. They don't feel like they used to feel. They've lost friends. You know, they can't do what they used to do. They've got to battle illnesses. Maybe their family is, you know, not as close to their family like they used to be. And church is not what it used to be. And, you know, and and Satan, will he will try to discourage senior saints. That's his big temptation. So here's what you gotta do. You spit in his eye, and you tell him no. I will not be discouraged. I'm gonna love my Lord, and I'm gonna live for my Lord. And I know I get tired, and I know I get aggravated, and I know I've got these burdens in my life. And I know I gotta deal with all this stuff, but I will not stop. I will run my race. I will finish my course. And I will do it for the Lord. So don't let Satan trip you up by discouragement. So how can we grow in victory over sin? I'm going to give you three ways we can grow in victory over sin as Christians. First of all, recognize your potential for sin. Recognize that as saved as you are, if you become prayerless, if you become careless, If you become neglectful of your walk with Christ, you can and you will succumb to temptation and sin. Listen, if King David could sin, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the warrior king of Israel, the one who killed Goliath, the one who wrote all of those psalms, if King David can sin, you can sin. And I can sin. If Peter could sin, a disciple of Jesus. For heaven's sakes, he walked on water until he took his eyes off the Savior and he began to sink. If Peter can sin, you can sin. I can sin. How do you overcome sin? Recognize that you have the potential for sin. Don't assume that you can't sin. Here's what Paul wrote. Romans 7, 21 through 25. Paul was writing to the Romans. Here's what he said. I then find a law. The word law here is the word principle. Paul wrote, I have found a principle that is true in my life. Now, he wasn't talking about anybody else. He says, I have found a principle that is true in my life. That evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. In other words, on the inside, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to love God and live for Him. But I see another principle or law in my members. And they war against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Talking of His body. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, Paul said, every time I want to do something for God, evil's always there trying to hinder me. I have found this law, this principle that is true. Every time I want to do something for the Lord, there's always some kind of thing in me trying to discourage me and hinder me from doing that for the Lord. And that's the Apostle Paul talking. (laughs) He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then he found the solution. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, I'm going to give control of my life to my heart, to my mind, to my spirit. I'm not going to obey the law of the flesh. The Apostle Paul's biggest fear was that one day he would sin in such a way that he would dishonor the Lord and disqualify himself from the ministry if you could talk to paul and said paul who's the one man in this world that you don't trust more than anybody else paul would say i don't trust myself i don't trust me my biggest fear is one day i'll do something stupid I'll get entangled in some kind of sin that will bring dishonor to the Lord and disqualify me from the ministry. 1 Corinthians 9 27, I discipline, Paul said, I discipline my body. I bring it unto subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul said, Paul said, you know, I have to discipline myself and I have to watch myself because I don't trust myself. I wouldn't trust me as far as I could throw me. What you, how do you overcome temptation? You recognize your potential for sin. Recognize the fact that you can sin. David sinned with Bathsheba because he was neglecting his walk with the Lord. You know, David, bless his heart, It was springtime when kings go to war. Where was David? Not with his army. He was at the house. He had slept most of the day. Lazy. Got up walking around on the top area of his palace. Saw that woman in all of her glory. And because he had been neglecting his walk with the Lord. Because he got too big for his britches. Because he was saying, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the one who killed Goliath. I'm the one who wrote all the Psalms. I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. He had gotten to the point where he thought he could never do anything wrong. And Satan pounced on that, presented that temptation. David failed. God forgave him, but he never escaped the consequences of that. Satan cannot steal your salvation, but if you allow him and fall into his temptations to sin, he will steal your joy. And he will steal your witness. He will steal your testimony. He will steal your usefulness in God's kingdom. You know, Southern Baptists sometimes, uh, preachers, Southern Baptist preachers sometimes, and I are one. You know, sometimes we're stupid. I'll just be honest with you. We idolize these guys sometimes. And it's good to have heroes of the faith. I have heroes of the faith. But we idolize these guys sometimes. And there was a guy recently who was idolized by so many Southern Baptist preachers. And he got caught in a sexual sin. And it devastated so many people. And I didn't like it. It devastated me. Now, supposedly, he's gone through this restitution thing, and he has returned to the ministry. But it'll never be the same. Every time somebody looks at him, that taint will always be there. God's forgiven him. I'm sure God has forgiven him. But you know, God can forgive you, and you still have to suffer the earthly consequences. Moses. Moses, went all that he went through with all the nation of Israel in the wilderness, he was disqualified from going into the promised land because he disobeyed the Lord. The Lord continued to use him. The Lord continued to guide him and direct him. But he did something stupid. He disobeyed the Lord and that disqualified him from going into the promised land. You could do stuff that will disqualify you from the ministry. Doesn't mean the Lord can't won't forgive you. doesn't mean the Lord won't continue to use you. But there are some things you can do that are of such a nature that it disqualifies you from ever standing in a pulpit again. That used to be the truth, but it ain't no more, apparently. So what does all that mean? If you want to overcome, if you want to have victory and sin over your life as a Christian, recognize the fact that you have the potential and the possibility of sin. I don't trust me one iota. I know I can sin. And I know if I neglect my walk with the Lord, listen, if you miss if you miss your, your prayer time, if you begin to neglect your walk with the Lord, you'll become a pagan. You'll become a pagan in how you think. You'll become a pagan in how you feel. You'll become a pagan. And you are ripe for Satan's temptations. So, Recognize your potential for sin. Second of all, understand the consequences of your sin. Our sins are finally, fully, and forever forgiven, but there are still consequences for a believer's sin. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. We offend the God who saves us. It burdens our heart and our soul and our guilt. Listen, the most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person. The most miserable person on earth is a Christian who has strayed from the Lord. That unsaved person, their heart's been seared. They're having a ball, you know. They're just happy they can get away with the stuff they're getting away with. And it don't bother them one iota. And they're looking for the next adventure and the next thing they can do. But if you're a child of God and you sin against God, it's going going to burden your heart and your life with guilt. Sin hinders our prayer life. Sin hinders our growth. Sin hinders our usefulness as a Christian. Sin limits what God wants to do in our life. Sin steals our joy and our peace. Sin pollutes our fellowship. Sin affects how we relate to others. And if our sin is severe enough, and if we are unrepentant in our sin, sin will endanger our life. The Bible even talks about the Lord taking Christians out of this world because of their sin and their refusal to repent of it. So how can I fight sin in my life as a Christian? Recognize I can sin, saved as I am, understand the consequences of my sin. Thirdly, refuse to follow the desires of your fallen flesh. And refuse to feed the flesh. Romans thirteen fourteen. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a picture of somebody putting on a coat. So in the morning, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Clothe yourself in Christ. And make no provision for the flesh and the sin that is there. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. Avoid temptation. Psalm 101, verse 3. The psalmist said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Now, sometimes you get ambushed by temptation, you know, and you get ambushed by sin. I remember went to Las Vegas, Nevada for a Southern Baptist Convention meeting. Why in the world we had a Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Las Vegas, Nevada is still beyond me. I got on a plane with a friend of mine, fellow pastor of mine, and we flew out there. Got to the airport, got a rental car, pulled out. And the first billboard we saw was nudes on ice. And it had a woman in all of her glory on the big billboard there. And I turned to my friend and he turned to me and said, we ain't in Georgia no more, are we? (laughs) Sometimes sin will ambush you. And so you got to be ready. Uh, you know, Avoid temptation. But if you find yourself in a moment of temptation, what do you do? 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee useful lust. If you find yourself in a moment of temptation, what do you do? You do what Joseph did in the Old Testament. You run. You don't have anything to do with it. You don't pull up your britches and say, well, I'm a Christian. I can handle this. No, you can't. Remember what old Potiphar's wife was trying to do to Joseph? And she was tugging on Joseph and wanting Joseph to, you know, be with her and all that kind of stuff. You know what Joseph did? He didn't try to explain it to her. He didn't try to, you know, somehow to connect with her. He He ran. What do you do when you find yourself in a tempting situation? You run. You get out of it. You refuse to follow the desires of your fallen flesh. If you want to overcome temptation as a Christian, then recognize your potential for sin, understand the consequences of your sin. And by the way, you ain't going to cover it up forever. It is astounding to me. I had to deal with a church member one time. I had an affair and all that, and he happened to be... Chairman of the deacons. That was a lot of fun. And the and I finally asked him, I said, son, and he was older than me, but I felt like, you know, talking to him, I said, son, what in the world? You thought you were gonna get away with this? You thought this was gonna be hidden? You thought nobody was ever gonna find out? He said, yeah, I, I thought so. You're not going to get away with it. Be sure your sins will find you out. And it's stupid to have the idea that I can get away with this and nobody will ever find out. And even if nobody does find out, God knows, does he not? (laughs) So understand the consequences. Refuse to follow the desires of your flesh. And finally, fill your life with the things of God. If you want to overcome temptation in your life, then fill your life with the things of God. Prayer. Pray every day. Man, before I do anything, if I have the opportunity, before I do anything, I have my prayer time. And I can't tell you the struggle sometimes that is. Because I think about all this stuff I need to do, all this stuff I need to get done, and am I, am I actually going to take time to pray when I need to get on this stuff? And yes. Yes, because I know prayer is your best time saving device, by the way, if you will pray, if you'll start your day with prayer, that'll help order your day. You'll get a whole lot more done if you pray, if you don't, than if you don't, that's the truth. Get your heart with the Lord, get right with the Lord, have your time with the Lord, and that'll help your day to be ordered. It's amazing, but it works. You know, I'm not a magician, musician, or anything, but my grandson is learning how to play the guitar, and so I was with him, you know, and he was showing me the licks that he, th- you know, learned, and he was showing me the tunes that he learned, and he's, he was always fiddling with it, you know, to get it in tune. Now he's got an ear to hear it. I, you know, people say, "Well, the piano's out of tune." You couldn't tell it by me. I mean, it just sounds okay to me. It sounds like a piano, but he's tuning that thing, and. I said, well, is it always, he said, Papa, you got to always, you know, listen, because as you play, it'll get out of tune. Listen, every morning you need to tune your heart to God. And if you don't, you'll get out of tune and you'll get out of whack and you'll get out of fellowship and you'll become vulnerable to God. So how do you tune your heart to God? You do it through prayer. Fill your life with prayer and praise and Bible reading and worship and, Service and abiding and walking with the Lord. Put spiritual content in your life. Every now and then, cut off the TV. You know, God gave us DVRs for a purpose. Right? I mean, if you want to watch Wheel of Fortune and and, uh, you want to watch Jeopardy, you can DVR the thing. And then you can do what you need to do with the Lord, and then you can watch it again without the commercials. That's what I'm talking about. But make sure you know, make spiritual things a priority in your life. Reading the Word of God and prayer and praising the Lord. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy... Meditate on these things. Focus on the spiritual things. You know, put on that Christian music. Man, when I go to cut the grass, I put my K Love on, and I'm out there and I'm cutting the grass and I'm praising the Lord. <laughs> it becomes a time of worship. You know, put spiritual content in your life, and it'll aggravate the fire out of Satan. Because he don't want you to do that. He's not lost you to, you know, your soul. But now he wants to read your testimony. And by the way, don't ever think that you're such an insignificant Christian that Satan doesn't care what you does. He hates every Christian and he wants to see every Christian fall no matter who they are or where they are. You are always a target in spiritual warfare for Satan. So... You know, I'm glad I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know God did a work of redemption in my life. But I also know the truth, that as saved as I am, there's still the potential and possibility for sin in my life. But I want to live a life of victory, don't y'all? And there's victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about the devil being a roaring lion Going about seeking whom he may devour. That was written to Christians, by the way, not to unbelievers. Satan already has unbelievers. Why would he want to devour them? He's already got control of their life. Satan, like a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. Satan's a lion, you know, a a wolf. He's he's a ferocious thing. We're sheep. (laughs) The Bible says we're sheep. So, what chance does a little sheep have against a roaring lion? You know, sheep Sheep can't run fast. They don't have sharp teeth. They're dumb as all get out. You know, sheep will, they'll find grass and they'll eat grass. And if it's on the side of a cliff, they'll keep eating until they fall off the cliff. Lambs and sheep are dumb. And yet the Bible says as Christian, we're called, we're called sometimes, we're as a metaphor, we're called sheep, lambs of the Lord. You've never heard a football team called the attacking sheep, right? It's always the bulldogs or the tigers, you know? It's never the attack of lambs. you never heard a football team called that. Sheep are vulnerable. They can't run fast, even in a group. You know, they're vulnerable. So what chance does, do I, as a sheep, have to get, have against a roaring lion? Well, here's the chance I've got. I've got a shepherd. And that shepherd's then defeated that rascal. And that shepherd comes to defend me. And he is my protector. And when I trust in him, even a sheep can have victory over a roaring lion. Amen? (laughs) Ha ha. So walk with the shepherd. You'll have victory.